0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 158, October 2022. Our guest this month is Deirdre Girard. Deirdre is a playwright and a teacher, and this month we feature her play Letting Go as one of our 2022 series of short plays with the theme of pets. First up will be our production of the play, and right after that we will have a chat with Deirdre about her work and various commissions, and one of my favorite subjects, horror-themed plays. Ooh. Right now, we're going to get to her play, Letting Go. Dr. Lanza will be played by Barbara Gwinnin. Diana will be played by Dana Hall. The setting is Dr. Lanza's pediatric office. At Rise, Dr. Lanza is doing paperwork in her veterinary clinic. We hear a commotion offstage.
1: I'll—I'll I'll just be a minute. Sorry. Sorry. It's an emergency.
0: Diana, wearing (laughs) pajama bottoms and a sweatshirt, her hair in a messy bun, comes flying into Dr. Lance's room (sighs) with a cat carrier.
1: It's Max.
0: Mrs. Watkins.
2: He's so, so sick. I have patients who have been waiting. I know, but... You'll need to make an appointment.
1: Max needs help now.
2: I'm sure he does. But I have other patients.
1: He's dying!
2: Yes, I know. Then do
1: something!
2: We've been through this. I'm not letting you kill him! No way! I won't continue to have the same discussion with you. I think it's time you found another veterinarian.
1: He trusts you. I just wish
2: you did too.
1: There there must be another operation or or something he can have. He's had three surgeries and he should never have had the third.
2: I know, but... Now, please. I'm overbooked today. If you want to make an appointment to euthanize Max, you can do that. But otherwise, there's no reason to come back here. Do you understand?
1: Maybe uh, stronger painkillers. Please. I'm begging you. I've been
2: perfectly
1: clear.
0: Dr. Lanza turns her back, presses the button on the intercom.
2: Beth, you can send in the next patient. No! Stop that right now. Beth, give me five. You understand that you just frightened Max terribly?
1: Oh my God, Max, I'm so sorry.
2: Sit. I'm afraid I can't allow you to continue to disrupt my business. I know you love Max, but he has cancer and he's suffering. It's his time. Stop talking. I've had enough of you barging in here every week. Now, practically every day, I've tried being sympathetic. I've been direct. I've been rude. None of it's worked. And now I need to take action.
1: You're finally going to help us? No.
2: I'm going to refer you to a psychiatrist. A very good one.
1: I'm just... And
2: unfortunately, I'm going to have to ban you from this office. If you show up again, I'll be forced to get a restraining order. And if you break that restraining order, I'll call the police. I'm just not... And they will remove you. Crying might have worked with me in the past, but it's been too long. Please, leave immediately.
1: I'm just not ready. That's all I'm trying to say.
2: But Max is ready. And at this point, you're only being cruel to him. Now, I'm writing out the name of that psychiatrist, and then you'll have to...
1: You're saying I'm mentally ill?
2: Talking to someone will definitely help. And if you truly love Max... I do then you'll leave him with me.
1: I'm sorry. I, I can't. Maybe in a few... I don't know. Just not today.
0: Diana moves towards the door, then hesitates and turns back.
1: And I'm not crazy. Okay. I never told you, but Max he's my daughter's cat. She got him when she was in college, and uh...
2: How does she feel about euthanizing him? I don't know. I'll tell you what. If you leave her name and number with me, I'll have my receptionist call her after you go and explain the situation. Maybe she can convince you. That won't work. Fine. But I don't expect to see you here again.
0: Diana moves towards the door and then hesitates again.
1: I know I've been acting a little, you know, but I'm not really like that.
2: I hear you. Now, I have other patients. Max,
1: he's all I have left of her.
2: Oh. Did
1: she? Yeah. Yeah. On a college trip to Aruba. There was alcohol and drugs.
2: I'm so sorry.
1: And I wasn't there. That's the thing. She passed out on a beach at night and she was just left. Left to die all alone. And I think, I think all the time.
2: Best not to think about it at all.
1: I think she might have been calling out for me, you know? I never should have let her go to Aruba. Her dad told me not to. Those college break parties get out of control, he said. And she was so innocent about those kinds of things. I don't know. Maybe I am actually crazy. Maybe I've gone completely, utterly batshit.
2: No. No one could go on living normally after that.
1: Look at me. You call this living? I'm afraid it's all you have left. You got that right. I've lost everyone.
2: It must be someone.
1: No, I'm a mess. No one wants to be around me anymore, and I don't blame them. No one can really understand what it's like for a mother or for someone who used to be a mother.
2: I do, Diana. I understand.
0: Diana reaches out to Dr. Lanza's hand and Dr. Lanza gently pulls away.
1: Did you lose someone?
2: My
0: baby boy. A long time
2: ago. But I don't want to talk about it, okay?
1: How, how do you keep doing all this? Working, acting so normal. I have a prescription. Does it help? It helps.
2: I don't know. To keep me calm, to... I'm sorry, but this this whole conversation, it's making things worse, to be honest. That's the whole point of the medicine. It uh, stops me from thinking.
1: What was his name? Please! But don't you just want to say his name sometimes? To be able to talk about him without people getting all uncomfortable... I wish I could say my girl's name out loud once in a while. My girl, my Lily, Lily, there it is. She was so, she was an old soul. I really can't do this. She could talk to anyone. She was so funny. Everyone loved that girl. She was-
2: I'm sorry, but I need you to go, please. I have other things I have to keep focused, keep moving. I need- You forget? No. Never. Not now, Beth. Give me a minute. I
1: right. I didn't mean to make you all flustered or whatever.
0: Dr. Lanza shakes her head no. She's breathing deeply. She cannot speak. She is trying desperately to regain control. She's mm-hmm. organizing her desk, trying not to cry.
1: Maybe we should both, uh, you know, um, maybe go to one of those group things. They're not for me. At least there'd be other parents. I can't. So we can actually talk to people who...
2: I've seriously thought about it. I have, but I just can't.
1: Okay. But I don't know. Maybe I'm getting ready to try something like that.
0: After a moment of watching Dr. Lanza continue to frantically organize her desk, Diana tentatively hands the cat carrier to Dr. Lanza, almost as if to physically stop Dr. Lanza's frenetic movement. Are you sure?
1: I, um, yeah, I think so.
2: (laughs) Okay then. Here's how it will happen, if you're sure.
1: Yeah, I am.
2: Then we'll take Max out of the cage and put him on your lap. You can hold him for as long as you like. Then you can kiss him goodbye before I inject him. How does that sound? It will be very peaceful.
1: Can can I hold him the whole time, you know? With the needle and everything?
2: Of course. You'll be with him every minute. Thank you. And after...
1: Don't worry about me, Doc. I'll be okay.
2: I know you will. But I was just thinking, when I'm done with patients for the day, maybe after that, we could get a cup of coffee?
0: Diana reaches out her hand, and this time, Dr. Lanza takes it. That was Letting Go by Deirdre Girard. Dr. Lanza was played by Barbara Gwinnon. Diana was played by Dana Hall. I can tell you right now, kids, that was not an easy one to work through. When I spoke to Deirdre, we just had to begin by discussing this greatly moving piece. We will start with the topic of the hour, which is your play, Letting Go. And as I just mentioned to you a short time ago, this, this play stuck with me. It was... Like i said i've been there um, i've had these animals in my arms that i've loved for years and i've given them in my my way of thinking the final gift of love which is releasing them from their agony their pain their trauma um, so with that for a lead please tell me where did the play come from and What was it like to put something like this down on paper where it's indelible or into the computer where it's all of a sudden out there for the world to see?
3: The original idea um, came when my uh, daughter, who was in college at the time, she and her boyfriend went on a, a trip to Puerto Rico where he's from, and his family decided to adopt a kitten that, you know, a street cat. And they got it home. But of course, the, his older brother was allergic. So my daughter decided it was her cat. I, I did not want a cat in the house at all. Uh, we've had cats. And I was, you know, we we have a dog. We have had cats in the past for 20 years. And it was nice to kind of, you know, be able to have fresh flowers and, you know, and 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 not be cleaning kitty litter. We just mm. eh, were ready for it. And Um, But she brought the cat home. And of course, she falls in love with the cat. And it's uh, just the smart. I never knew a cat could be so smart. And I think it really was the idea for the play was as simple as, you know, when she uh, would go away, you know, that cat just made me think of her so much. It was so associated because she trained the cat and the cat has all these funny habits that are, you know, a hundred percent from my daughter. So like, if you lean over and empty the dishwasher, the cat will jump on your back because she just loves to be, because my daughter let her do that. Sure, and, um, and it just, I, it just that I realized that as much as I did not truly want another cat, it just, when my daughter wasn't around or she was traveling, it, that cat gave me comfort to, to, to you know, think about my daughter. And that's, that's as simple as it is. That's where that play came from.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's amazing how these animals, especially, I'm going to say especially kittens because I'm more of a cat person than a dog person, although lately my dog person has been re, uh, resurrected. But we've had cats for, I don't know, the last 150 years. And <laughs> literally they number in the 30s. Okay. Um, and it's amazing how each one has, you know, distinct personality. And as much as they are cats, which means they think of themselves first, pretty much. And they are much more attuned to nature than they are to humans, aside from dogs who are human-centric. Hello, I love you. Feed me. Hello, is it dog food again? Yep, great. Um, they almost, I'm not sure if we're their pets or they're ours. You know, it's, it's, I'm not quite sure who, is it an equal relationship, do you think? Or is it... Yeah
3: this cat has me so well trained. I know all her, I'm i not kidding. I know all her little symbols or I would like to go outside right now. Oh, I'm ready to come in. Uh, she's got, she's got it down. It, you know, she, and she understands the English language. I can't figure it out, but she can follow almost anything you say. It's the strangest thing. So I don't know. I'm I'm voting for her being in charge.
0: Yeah. Sounds like it. We, we've had a few that were definitely in charge and For us, it was, they're either in charge of us or they don't particularly care and we just feed them and let, you know, they let us pet them every once in a while. Um, But we saw some very, very clever ones. I was really touched about the relationship in this play between um, the doctor, okay, and um, uh, Diana. It was, I wasn't really expecting it to go there in the beginning of the play because it It goes one way i mean diana's distraught and obviously we can understand why she's distraught and animals take up such space in our hearts but to do that final act of love that generosity you know it's if you're taking care of them by feeding them and petting them and cleaning them and changing their kitty litter that's that's all you know relatively low cost but easing their passage from this dimension to the next is really, really hard. And I was kind of surprised at the way the play turned. Is is how did Dr. Lanza come into being? I mean, did did you have that in your head when you started writing this or
3: I don't think so. Um I I I you know I think just when you think about how to make a play work, yeah. you know, the contrast is always, you know, is going to be in it, especially in a short play, having the contrast between the two characters. So just instinctively when I'm writing, yeah. if, if this woman is over the top, then I want to contrast her with somebody who's very, very controlled. Mm-hmm. So I, a lot of times I'm not even consciously thinking of that, you know, when I'm writing, but yeah. I think, I think that's just the, you know, just the way it really was. Cause I had the first character. Um, In my mind, and then I, and I just gave it some contrast with Dr. Lanza and, um, and we had that wonderful woman in our community who, um, you know, lost her son and she um, writes about it a lot. She, and she helps the bereaved people. And so I think I was probably influenced by her as well because, you know, she started an organization. She, but she very much is about talking about the loss. Yet so many people, absolutely, you know, they take medication. They need it. They they sure. they don't want to talk, but they don't. So I think because you know this woman is is um, such a vocal advocate, um, for, you know, for helping bereaved people, um, that you know I think she also influenced my thinking about the different approaches that people take when they're dealing with bereavement.
0: Yeah, it's. I think in in the U.S. we don't give bereavement, we don't give the passing, we don't give that part of life the attention that a lot of other cultures do. We are conditioned to be afraid of it. We are conditioned to be, uh, we don't talk about this sort of thing because it's hard and it's difficult, but everything that lives passes on. Yeah. And parts of our heart go with them. And... Coming into that without a prep, coming into that without a cultural understanding of this is natural, this is what happens, I think makes it so much harder for us, I mean, than it would be if we were someplace else with a culture that recognized, you know, the dead. Okay, in in Latin countries, they celebrate the Day of the Dead and people dress up like skeletons and they have celebrations and it's out there it's right in the open. Yeah, I think the closest we come is Halloween and we and we make a a kids day out of it. We dress like the scary people, but we don't really take that into account. It's 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 a little strange. Um, but I think it would I think what your play does is it brings us a little bit closer to that reality of this is natural and this has to happen. And you need to be here for it to make it happen. Anyway, well done. I mean, seriously, it's a a, a beautiful play. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was looking you up and doing some research and got to your bio. And one of the first things I saw was that you tell women's stories and which is not an odd thing these days it's it's becoming more and more prevalent and i'm really happy to see that because all of a sudden we've got voices that have not been heard for a very long time and perspectives um and besides making for interesting theater i think it helps educate us um as as audiences what made you focus on this i mean this is a total softball question but (laughs) we write about Playwrights write about different things. I mean, I, I try to write about p- good people who make really stupid choices and end up paying huge penalties for them. Um, but to write about women in general, tell me more about that. It's it's uh, well, I mean, I have two daughters.
3: Um, so I think you know that's and obviously I'm female it's a natural inclination, but I think you know, in the theater, you know, uh, female playwrights are, you know, um, dramatically underproduced compared to men. Oh, absolutely. Um, and a lot of women are looking for, especially middle aged women, are really looking for meaty roles in the theater. Oh. So I think that a lot of, you know, female actors feel like there's not the work out there that they're going to connect to that gives them the opportunities. And, you know, no matter, even though, you know, Change is certainly afoot. Still, we know that um, you know women are produced far far less um, than men. And one of the conjectures I've heard about that is that just through societal training, um, women um, tend to want to um, appease or back off um, a lot, Um, and and it shows in their play. So that sometimes their characters are not as Active as driven. Um, They don't make the hard choices, the uncomfortable choices sometimes because, you know, that women, um, you know, are, whether it's societal or innate, you know, tend to want to appease to create harmony. And you can't do that in a play. A play is all about conflict and drama. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, so the protagonist has to be the one driving the action. Those choices have to, you know, further the play. So I don't know if that's true or not, but that female playwrights, you know, are now trained, and I know I teach um at a, a lot of different age levels, and I always warn women about this to make sure that their characters, you know, that they, you know, let their characters do uncomfortable things. They are creating the action of the play when you have a female protagonist. So I think for all those reasons, um, I've, and and it's what, you know, it's what I do best. And to the point where I have to often go back and um, uh, really work on my male characters because my female characters are always so much more interesting.
0: (laughs) I'm gonna agree with you on that one. I, I tend to find that my female characters seem to have a lot more purpose they always turn out more interesting for some strange. What kind of, you, you were talking about, you mentioned you talk about this with your students, trying to get them to write stronger females, w- w- women who make harder choices. How difficult do you think it is for your students and what kind of material are you getting back from them?
3: You know, it's, it's I think once you make women aware that this can be a tendency with female writers, they will really push through that. Um, And it's just a matter of creating that awareness and that realization. So a lot of times, you know, you'll see younger women writing male characters as it's like, okay, why can't it be female? And a lot of times if there's something physical involved, There's something, you know, uh, it's maybe it's a, um, the character is a difficult character. They'll tend to make it a male character. It's like, okay, what if that were a female character? And I mean, when I write, I often will challenge myself. If my immediate instinct is to make it a male character, I'll take a step back and say, um, okay, why is that? Why did I automatically make that a male character? And often I'll switch it right up. And, Um, you know so I think once you're aware it's not hard um, to to um, get the young women to be more assertive with their female characters and make yeah. them you know more distinctive more you know and, and challenge because the best plays it's you know the characters are not perfect it's they're victims of their own weaknesses and have to learn to overcome that
0: sure yeah do you think it's a I hope I'm using the right word here. Um, do you think it's a question of being given permission to do so? Because I mean, as you as we've just discussed here, it's a man's wor- it has been a man's world mm-hmm. at least for playwrights, okay, and for you know actors and trying to find roles for I don't know women over forty. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a young person or a young woman to step into a class, I mean, she wants to write, she wants to express herself, she wants to tell stories about what's going on in her mind, her soul, in her world, and being told, yes, write about whatever you want, write about yourself, write about your sisters, write about the women in your family, give us the truth. That's kind of a relatively new thing, don't you think?
3: You know, It is to a certain degree for sure. Um, Because again, as I said, even the newest studies You know, men are produced so much, even in blind submissions. And part of the reason for that, of course, though, is that most of the theater directors are male. So when they're reading, they're reading what they connect to as men. Um, And that's, you know, this is all conjecture from, you know, what I've read. But that's another theory about why even in blind readings. Men will be selected um, at a much um, high and and you know it, much more so. And I think you know, when I was training in playwriting, you know, one of the things that you'll be called out on all the time is, you know, don't protect your characters. You know, don't let the character do the unpleasant or the hard or the thing that shows you know their weakness and their vulnerability. Don't hold back. Don't make them nice mm-hmm. because you like them you like the character and you want, you know, to a certain degree, you don't, you want them.
0: I love um, them. I don't yeah. want bad things to happen to them. I know.
3: Yeah. And yeah. it's, and it's something you just get, you know, people will get you on you all the time to do that. So that was sort of how I was trained. And, you know, so I automatically when I'm working with women, I just, you know, I always have them really watch out for, you know, in, in terms of making their women distinctive and, um, and, and, and active and you know being the people who drive the action of the play it's not circumstances that should determine the fate it's something with them that changes you know and so this is you know if you have a female protagonist the play is about her journey you know yeah. so it's not about you know some random thing in the universe happens that changes her fate she changes her fate so yeah. it really doesn't take a lot more than that with young girls to make the, you know, to, to make them aware of it. And oh my gosh, you wouldn't, I get the most amazing plays. And it's funny because I, I literally teach anywhere from fourth grade through college. Sure. And one of my high school students wrote a play where the two characters, it was all women in the play, the two characters were the last two brain cells in the brain of a woman with Alzheimer's and they did not like each other. And so these two characters just fighting while they're, you know, keeping this woman functioning. It was brilliant. This was a high school student.
0: That's crazy. That that sounds brilliant though.
3: Yeah, It was, it was, and she was happened to be somebody who was planning to major in biology. So she was really interested or neuroscience. But I mean, these kids are, and it's interesting, the high school kids are actually more creative, I think, than the college kids, because the college kids are trying too hard. Like when if they're writing plays in college, it's because that's what they want for their future. Right. So they're feeling like it has to be amazing. Whereas the high school kids are like, oh, let me try this. Let me, you know. And they actually will often come up with just more, f- their plays will feel more free.
0: Yeah. R- written with less of a purpose, absolute purpose in mind.
3: Yeah. They just want to write and do something fun and they're not trying to deliver the next great American play.
0: Let's never lose that. That's just the best part. That's still like having a child inside of you with a crayon and a ton of paper going, yes. Um, I was, I noticed also in your bio that, uh, the name Susan Glassball, uh, uh, jumped out at me and having had to read trifles at least five times in Mm -hmm. high school and college. Oh Um, which is a brilliant story. Uh, it, it really, But you were the winner of the Short Play Award. And let me see, that year was 2018. Congratulations, yay. Um, <laughs> but I read your play that won it, In the Buff. And one of the, the thing that totally struck me about it was, I thought it was going someplace, and then it didn't go someplace. And then I thought it might've been going somewhere else, but it didn't go there either. And it got to a point where they're both focusing on the same thing. And then the play stops. And I'm looking for more pages because, A, I like the characters. But, B, what you did was you left me with so many questions. And that's my question is because a lot of people will say, but I want to know what happens and as a playwright i've had to say no this is this is the only slice that you get of this particular universe this is all you get but i want to know what happens to them and do they do the then and, and audience members have told me they feel cheated because they didn't have the whole story out there and this particular play in the buff seems deliberately geared to let our imaginations just go in 360 direction just to see where it why did you choose to end it that way?
3: Well, I think that play um which is it's actually pretty different than a lot of stuff I've written, um it was um actually inspired by a poem my sister wrote. Um and uh you know th- you know th- the journey for this woman was you know to understand her mother who always seemed so distant from her uh-huh. but was so fascinated with that house. So at the end of the play it's it's not about her and the young man that lives there it's really about her finding the connection her mother had to this house yeah. um you know that's you know that's why she took the job in the first place and in the end you know it's um now yes i you know you don't want to spoon-feed th- things to people but So, you know, you make them, you know, because people lean forward when they have to think about it and figure out what's happening. But at the end of that play, um, as um, it's more of a poetic image at the end of the play where the, um, the, you know, that stag that's always been there Mm -hmm. um, and that the mother was always watching comes. And then all of a sudden there's a female deer Right. And you know, and she realizes that that was you know where she was conceived, and 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 so the idea of the ending is that um, these you know this these animals are you know the incarnation of her parents that are coming back, and that that's why her mother always waited for this deer, and um, and it was inspired by my sister who is a poet. She had written a poem about after her mother-in-law died that she saw a deer in the yard. And it's just a, you know, it's hard to explain a poem, but you Mm -hmm. know, but this beautiful imagery that she just absolutely felt that connection with her mother-in-law and the way the deer interacted with her. So that was the image that I kind of um, took into this play. Um, And it's so interesting because it is a bit of an unusual play. And I will write some short plays that will get produced everywhere. I mean, just everybody will like this. I have a few that are just favorites that get produced over and over and over again. Can you tell and me
0: I your favorite plays?
3: <laughs> well, you know, and the thing is, I usually like to write new ones every, like I don't usually even resubmit older things, yeah. but then there are some plays that will get produced just once or twice but in a, in a pretty significant way, it's, you know, cause people are just drawn out this piece. So that prize, I won like a thousand dollars, which for a 10 in a play is a lot. No, that's not um, bad. Yeah. And that's yeah, I was awesome. a national, yeah. And I was a national winner of that, but I believe, I think it was only ever produced one other time at a festival, but it was never uh, a play that was, you know, like, was one of those ones that immediately, like, gets produced. Like, there's just, for some reason, you just hit on a certain something. um, Uh And it just resonates really widely. Um, And I can almost kind of tell when I'm writing, which ones are going to be them. And they're not necessarily the ones I think are the best plays. But they tend to be the ones that are charming. Um, and that are also are accessible to a very wide audience, you know. So, like, I have some pretty hard hitting plays, but you know, they they're going to get produced maybe in Boston, New York, but they're not going to get produced at you know all these little theaters all over the country.
0: Yeah.
3: But um, but the ones that are charming and that make you feel really good at the end, you know, those yeah. you know the ones where you, that that are very uplifting and charming, those tend to get most the most widely produced. So, you know, and you know what, I, I will submit things and, and half the time um, I'm frequently in like the Boston theater marathon, which is pretty hard to get into, but uh, you get to submit two plays yeah. and uh, more than half the time I'm thinking, gee, I would have picked the other
0: play, <laughs> but. Yeah. Well, our perspective is different because they need butts and seats and they need audiences that are happy. They were there that night. So what they're looking for at least the way I look at it is I've I've like you I've written plays that probably will not get done a whole lot because they have difficult content or because they don't end you know happily with a song in their heart and all that um but they're the ones that I sit there and go okay I'm glad I wrote it I needed to write that that was it's now now that I've got that on paper I can go do something that somebody actually might like or somebody might want to produce um and it's, it's tricky because we have these these worlds in our head that need to go on paper, mm-hmm. all right? And some of those worlds are going to be amenable to the crowds and some of those worlds are just going to say something, a truth from our world that might not be what everybody else wants to hear on a Friday night, you know? it's um, But we True. need to say it anyway, yeah, yeah. You were talking about the end of In the Buff where Possibly, you know, the the, the the two deer represent the souls of, you know, her mother um, and passing on going across the void into another place, to another dimension. And that leads me to, I think, the thing I want to talk about last is you've been writing plays about the supernatural. I'm not going to say horror. I'm going to say ghost plays. I'm going to say supernatural plays, which is a favorite subject of mine. And I I, I just find myself totally entranced with really, because to me, there are very few good ghost stories. All right. I can only count two movies, I think, that I've seen that actually handle ghosts intelligently. Mm. Um, the rest, it's all boo, you know, scary stuff and, and yes. all that nonsense. Um, so kudos to you for writing ghosty plays. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Where does that come from? What it, it's, it's, How did you start doing that?
3: It was very unusual. I have always liked to tell ghost stories. So even when my kids were little, we have a little camp up in New Hampshire and would sit around the fire and everybody would tell ghost stories. And of course I had to keep them too. So they had to always end not scary for the kids. Yeah. But I've always liked to tell them. And then during COVID, there was so few calls for plays. Um, all of a sudden nobody was producing anything. There was yeah. stuff being, you know, a few things being done online. And so I was, you know I, you know, I was just looking at what people were asking for. And it happened to be, you know, a few months before Halloween. And I noticed like two or three theaters looking for short horror or ghost plays. I thought, well, pff, I've got the time. There's nothing else going on. And mm-hmm. I've always liked to tell a ghost story. So I, you know, tried my hand at a few of them. And sent them out. And I was just so surprised at the response because a couple of theaters that I had no connection with at all wrote me back, which has never happened to me. Uh, uh, directors of, you know, artistic directors wrote me back and said, These are really good. We can never get enough good ones. I don't know if you know you have a real knack for this. Um, and I had not, they said, Oh, my, we don't ever do anything like this, but this is like really good. And, um, and I and I was just kind of surprised at like an immediate positive reaction. So then I thought, you know, maybe I'll like put a collection here that could be a full evening of theater. And um, it ended up getting produced um, in Lynn, Mass. Um, even though there weren't many productions last year, got a nice uh, big production um, last October. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I can't, uh, I can't just constantly keep sending out you know, plays to people, like I can send them to the, you know, the individual pieces out. Um, But I'll just like, see if anybody wants to publish it, because that way they can kind of, you know, push it into theaters, yeah. because they're so popular. Something was very clear to me, just the response I was getting, and I was getting into every single festival I was entering them in. So anything I saw that was related to Halloween, and I, I just kept getting you know, uh, positive responses. So I'm like, well, I think I'll put it when I put together the collection, I did one as like a wraparound. So it starts off the show and I put them in an order and I, then I kind of call back, you know, the first thing mm-hmm. and, um, and I just put them together basically in a volume and I sent them to two publishers, um, that do those kind that might do something like that. And, And I, and I've never really done that before. And, you know, one of them said, yes, we'd love to publish it. So I, and then a month later, the other one said, we would really love to publish. So, and then I said, oh, it just had, you know, I just published, I know I just signed a contract like a few weeks ago, but I am working on a second. And both of them said they, you know, they absolutely want to see the second collection, um, so I have, I actually, and they, for some reason I write them really fast and they're really different. Some of them are comedy. Some of them are, you know, like, like real life scary. Some of them are supernatural. And I just finished writing a new collection. I just have to edit it, but I think, you know, and I'll, what I'll start with is just when the theaters are calling for the short scary plays this year, I'll just send the individual ones out to the festivals and maybe send the collection out before I, I I send it to either publishers you know just because um, you know I know there's some there's enough interest that I can get some things going and both yeah. publishers are letting me um, submit the individual um, pieces uh, so there's like nine plays in the collection so that publisher is letting me if I want to submit to a festival even though it's published you know what about 40 50 percent of the festivals will take a published piece sure, yeah so i can still submit them to festivals but they're basically selling the collection for this halloween um right. and then the nice thing is though i made the contact with another publisher who had wanted the. and i said oh well i did just finish a collection of um short plays called women at the center which is all female protagonists that i'm putting together if you want to see that oh yeah and honestly i think if i had just sent that they probably wouldn't have looked at it, but because they were intrigued with the horror yeah, plays, sure, they, and they, they, that's in the process of being published right now.
0: That's all. Um, so they picked it
3: up, and door.
0: yeah, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah,
3: so Congratulations. and it's so funny because I never wrote one before, you know, like less than a year ago, and they, you know, they're definitely among my my most
0: popular wow. short pieces. I I look forward to to what are the collections called
3: um it's short and scary okay. uh is the collection that's published it's on it's on the um uh the playwright's exchange the new play exchange okay. um th- uh that collection is published i've finished short and scary too which i'm just editing now, so I have a whole new collection and then um a collection of uh not horror plays just plays with female protagonists mm. across all kinds of genres um is uh being published right now i think it's due out in august of 20 of this year that's, um that's so awesome. that will that will be coming out in
0: august congratulations that's excellent
3: well thank you it's fun i mean i write a lot of full-length plays as well but they are so much harder to get produced yeah, no um that's the nice thing about the short plays is yeah. there's so many festivals and and um and there's a lo- so much interest in short plays because People just don't have the attention span sometimes, so they tend to get new audiences uh-huh. with the short plays. People oh, who yeah. don't normally go to theater, you know, will will will, um, will go to short play a short play festival.
0: Oh yeah, because you have eight or eight or nine or ten chances to be entertained, as opposed Absolutely. to sitting there for two hours and ten minutes with something you might like. Okay. So yeah, I mean, Good. the choices are a lot easier and a lot of theaters are doing that. So I think it's a pretty smart move for the theaters. Um, and it gives us a chance to write about so many more different things. Uh, yes. And than, than we might normally, but I'm personally, for one, I'm never going to give up full length plays. So I'll just write them when I don't have a short one. Dear Gerard, this has been so much fun talking to you. I am so glad you've sent in letting go. And I've had such a great time talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been fun. Hey, kids, thanks for listening to On Stage Offstage. On Stage Offstage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or know of someone in the theater who would make some seriously good chat, By all means, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening. And please stay safe. Be careful not only for yourself, but for those with whom we all share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you.